Welcome to Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. We're your hosts, Tim and Ruth Olson, licensed marriage and family therapists and trauma experts. We provide wisdom for personal growth and healthy relationships. Stick with us and you'll gain practical tools and insights that will help you be a healthier and happier you. Hey everyone, welcome to Mr. and Mrs. Therapy podcast. We're so glad that you're here with us today. Today we're going to be talking about sleep and how the lack of sleep can really affect you in a lot of areas, but also a couple of tips on how to get more sleep. And the reason we're talking about this right now is that this Sunday is the beginning of daylight savings time. And I know not every state follows daylight savings time. I grew up in Hawaii where we did not change the clocks at all. I actually didn't even realize this until I went away for college and they started doing daylight savings time. More and more, they're showing studies that show that there really are some long-term effects. And we think, well, it's just an hour of sleep. What's the difference? But it has to do over the long haul. So just during the week, After the shift to daylight savings time, there's an associated rise in cardiovascular disease with a 24% higher risk of heart attacks, injuries due to car accidents, including a 6% spike in fatal car accidents, the stroke rate increases by 8%, mental health and cognitive issues are affected with an 11% spike in depressive episodes. Now with all those dizzying statistics, you can see why Having a good and appropriate relationship with sleep is very important. And one of the big things is that if you're not sleeping well, it can dramatically affect your mental health. Now, a part of this is when you're trying to go to sleep or when you're trying to set up a healthy relationship with sleep, one of the big important things is your circadian rhythm. Your circadian rhythm is basically your sleep cycle. And essentially, it has to do a lot with the temperature of your body. And so there's two basic times a day when the heat in your body will spike. And one is kind of around early afternoon, and a lot of times people get kind of sleepy or they want to take naps shortly after 12 o'clock, maybe a little bit after lunch. And that's because there's a little bit of a higher body heat temperature at that time. And so your body's basically telling you, hey, it's kind of time to take a little break, time to take a little nap. And then it really kind of spikes near nighttime. And your circadian rhythm is set up based on when you are more typically going to sleep. So it's very important if you want to have a good relationship with sleep to have a healthy circadian rhythm. And the easiest way to get into a healthier circadian rhythm pattern is by sleeping at consistent times. So waking up and going to sleep at regular intervals throughout the week. And even when it comes to the weekend, trying to still stick to a similar time pattern is important to keeping that circadian rhythm on par. So just like Ruth was saying, even if you just change your sleep cycle by one hour, you have all these negative dramatic increases in in both health outcomes and in psychological outcomes. So when you're thinking about it and you're like, oh, you know what, normally during the week, I go to bed at like eight o'clock because I got to wake up at four o'clock. But then when the weekends come and you're like, oh, now I'm going to stay up till one o'clock and then I'll sleep in till 10, you absolutely can do that. But a part of the problem is you're not going to get as good, helpful, or restful sleep. And the reason why is because you're fighting against your circadian rhythm versus working with your circadian rhythm. And even though it may feel lame to be going to bed at eight o'clock on a Friday or a Saturday, if you want healthier sleep cycles and you've been struggling with it, understanding that keeping to that relatively structured time frame of going to bed and waking up is very important towards making sure you have that healthy relationship with sleep. So another thing that helps set your circadian rhythm is a timing and amount of bright light exposure that a person gets during the day. So this is why daylight savings really affects that between March and November. When your internal clock is out of sync with the sun's clock, you could feel tired in the morning and awake in the evening. And by throwing off your circadian rhythm, you also throw off your sleep homeostasis. 
Dr. Z, who is a chief of sleep disorders and a doctor of neurology, she talks about how sleep health depends on the balance between two processes. One of them is sleep homeostasis, and that's the desire to sleep that builds from the moment you wake up all the way through bedtime. And the second is what we just talked about, circadian rhythm, and how she describes that as the body's natural 24-hour biological cycle, including the sleep-wake cycle that regulates the timing of sleep at night and the wakefulness during the day. And so I know we talked about those statistics, but another thing she talks about is that the long-term health effects, even from just that hour, and she says that studies show that daylight savings time is linked to depression, slowed metabolism, weight gain, and cluster headaches. But some short-term health problems are sleep issues, fatigue, changes in blood pressure, that kind of feels like prolonged jet lag. And she talks about that the late starters or those who wake up later in the morning, as well as teenagers who tend to be night owls, are more vulnerable to these effects because they already sleep through more hours of the natural morning light. So she says that daylight savings time further throws off their circadian rhythms. So going off what you were saying there a little bit ago that the circadian rhythm helps get set by bright light exposure, one of the things that you can do is if you find that you're really having a hard time getting your circadian rhythm set where it's like, okay, this is the time I'm waking up, all right, now this is the time I want to be going to bed and have it be easier to fall asleep, is that first thing in the morning, getting as much sun exposure as you can, first thing off, kind of helps set your brain up to realize, oh, it's morning, the sun's out. And then when it comes down to later in the evening, what you want to do, and I'm sure everybody's heard this before, but reducing your contact with screens. And the more you reduce your contact with the screens, the more your brain gets settled into, hey, this is getting to be nighttime. And so just think the setting sun, right? When it's relatively high in the air, it's very bright. But as it starts getting lower and lower, it slowly gets dimmer. And the same thing you want to do with your exposure to the light in the house or the light of your screens. The more you can dim that, whether you're using like blue blocking glasses or you turn your phone onto the nighttime mode or something along those lines, it helps send the signal to your brain, it's getting darker, start winding down to get ready for sleep. And then that can assist with you helping to realign your circadian rhythm into a more consistent pattern. If you haven't heard of the sleep diplomat, his name is Matthew Walker, but he calls himself the sleep diplomat. And I think his website is sleepdiplomat.com. So Tim originally sent me one of his TED Talk videos and I watched it. It was just 20 minutes, but there was so much packed in that short time. I think he has an interview with Joe Rogan. He has some books out, but he has such good information and it's very eye-opening. And so in the show notes, I'll make sure that I link that YouTube video, the 20-minute TED Talk that he did. But let's talk a little bit more about what Tim started with, with how can we change this? How can we get better sleep? And so like Tim said, get that morning light. But I wouldn't just start on daylight savings time. I would do it the day before or a couple days before. Wake up, get as much morning light as you can, and that'll help you adjust a little more to that daylight savings time. And then make sure that you go to bed earlier, especially the night before on Saturday. But I would even say a couple days before, same thing. Just 15 or 20 minute increments leading up to it. So maybe on Thursday you do 15 minutes earlier you get to bed. Then on Friday you do 30 minutes. And Saturday maybe you do the full hour earlier or even 45 minutes earlier. And it's the same thing with parents of little kids. You can adjust them as well by changing their bedtime. And then when they wake up, go for a nice morning walk. Another thing you can do is try to create a relaxing bedtime routine. You want to take a warm bath, read a book, listen to calming music, 
something that can kind of help you wind down. I know for me in particular, that book one is a big thing. I swear if I'm laying in bed at the end of the day and I'm trying to read a book, it's like I took some sleep medication. It will just put me out almost immediately. Another one is to get regular exercise. But specifically, if you can, exercise in the morning because exercising raises your body temperature, which can increase your wakefulness and can help reset your internal clock. Kind of like Tim was talking about earlier with the body temperature. Another one is managing your stress or anxieties. A lot of times people, when they're having difficulties falling asleep, they get what I like to call the swirl of thoughts. So they lay down and there's just the swirl of thoughts that come around. And a lot of times their anxieties, their worries, their discomforts. And when that's going on, a lot of times what that means is that you haven't really been handling your emotional business lately. And when now you're laying down, your brain's like, hey, you can't run from this anymore. I'm going to make you think about this. And a good way to think about it is when you're feeling anxious, it's because your brain is thinking you're in danger. And if your brain thinks that there's a bear right around the corner, it's not going to allow you to fall asleep. And so it kind of injects a little bit of adrenaline into you when you're thinking about these anxious, uncomfortable thoughts, which gives your body the energy to stay awake. Even if you feel dead, tired, or exhausted, you still just can't fall asleep. So part of it is convincing your brain there's not a bear around the corner. You can go to sleep. You're not going to get eaten if you fall asleep right now. And the way you do that is by taking a little bit of time. I tell people generally if you're having problems with these swirling thoughts, What you want to do is you want to get into bed about 15 to 20 minutes before you normally want to fall asleep, and then you want to journal all these swirling thoughts that are coming around, and you just write down whatever the thoughts say. You just kind of write it down, and at a certain point, you'll end up getting bored of writing, and if you're bored, I can guarantee you you're not feeling anxious in that moment, and so what that means is that you're going to then be more likely to fall asleep because your brain is not in a state of hyper arousal where it's fearful and feeling like it's in danger, even though it's not really. If you're really struggling with this, what you want to do is kind of play around with this. Generally, 15 to 20 minutes is plenty for people, but you may need longer. You may need 30 minutes. So take that time, get into bed 30 minutes before you want to fall asleep, start that journaling process that helps you manage that stress and or anxiety before you're going to bed and then can eliminate those swirling thoughts. Another one is just making sure that your environment is conducive to sleep. So making sure your bedroom is cool, quiet, dark, maybe if you have blackout curtains. Some people use a white noise machine. The next thing to consider about trying to make sure that you're getting healthy sleep is substances. And it can be caffeine, it can be marijuana, it can be alcohol, it can even be sleep aids. Any of these things, even if you use it and it helps you to fall asleep, the type of sleep you get when you're using any type of substance whether you're using like it recreationally just for fun and then you fall asleep later or you're using it to help you fall asleep actually negatively impacts the quality of the sleep that you're getting. Now, don't get me wrong, sleeping under the influence of something generally is better than not sleeping at all. But if you can move away from using substances near bedtime, it's actually much better for your sleep pattern and the deepness of sleep you're actually able to get. They've done studies on this and what they do is they follow the heart rate pattern of people when they're sleeping without substances versus people who are sleeping with substances. When you're sleeping without substances, your heart rate pattern actually decreases and drops a lot more than when you're on a substance. So let's say if you're not using a substance, your heart rate may drop down to like 50 to 60 beats a minute. But then if you're using some type of substance, your heart rate may be more up in the range of 80 to 90 beats a minute, even when you're just laying there sleeping. Now that doesn't sound like a gigantic difference, but it is a large difference in the quality of sleep you're getting. And you may think, well, I'm drinking alcohol. Alcohol is a depressant. 
Shouldn't that decrease the heart rate? No, it doesn't decrease it at all. It actually increases the heart rate. I even had a situation where I was taking a new type of vitamin and for whatever reason, I've never had a problem with this before, but that vitamin was causing me to have problems sleeping. And so then I eliminated that and then I changed to a different brand that I'd known I could take before. And then all of a sudden I went from not being able to sleep well at night at all to being able to sleep well. So something in that particular brand I was taking, even though it was just multivitamin kind of a thing, was negatively impacting my sleep. Now again, this is ideal and if you can't sleep without some help, it's better to use help than none at all. However, if you can follow more of the guidelines we talked about how to get healthy sleep and then you're able to move away from using the substances to help you sleep, that is more of an ideal circumstance. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. And remember that the pursuit of mental health is a multifaceted approach. And one of those facets is definitely getting good night's sleep. We hope this episode helps you to understand what you can do in order to get better sleep. And remember, your mind is a powerful thing. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. If you enjoyed this podcast or found it helpful, we'd love for you to take some time and leave us a review on Apple Podcast. If you have a question or a topic you'd like discussed in future episodes, visit our Facebook group, Mr. and Mrs. Therapy Podcast, and let us know. Disclaimer, although we are mental health providers, this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide diagnosis or treatment. Please seek professional help if you're struggling with persistent mental health issues, chronic marital issues, or call the National Suicide Hotline at 988 if you are contemplating suicide.